Welcome to the MXGP Podcast Show on Vital MX. Your hosts, Lewis Phillips and Adam Wheeler, will discuss all things MXGP. Woke up with a bend in the brain, stretching out with a cup of coffee. My muscles take from days ago. Not in stretch of court to sky. Welcome to another edition of the MXGP podcast show on Vital MX. We are recapping round eight of the 2023 FIM Motocross World Championship, the Grand Prix of Latvia. My personal favourite, definitely one of the best events on the schedule, but we'll get into that and see if my co-hosts agree with me or tell me that I am indeed crazy. Before we get into all of that, though, I need to thank FXR. FXR is designed by racers for racers. With industry-leading fit, finish and performance, progression is the name of the game with every new piece that is created. At FXR, they push their brand to the next level to provide you with the best product possible. FXR is built to conquer. And also, of course, we need to thank Polisport. For all you motocross riders out there, we have some great news. Our partner Polisport is the go-to supplier for top European motorcycle brands. With a range of replica plastics available for all of the major brands and models, as well as the best motocross accessories, Polisport is the perfect choice for anyone looking for quality products. Why settle for less? Choose Polisport and experience the best that the industry has to offer. Thank you to FXR and Polisport. Um, Other people can get involved if they like. I have another MXGP thing cooking that people may want to get involved in. Um, I like money, like Jeffrey Hurlings. So if people want to give me money, I am more than happy to accept. Please send me an email. Uh, What are you cooking? I haven't introduced you yet you can't talk until you've been introduced no one knows who you are this is this this is new news what? i mean you never said something about an, another msgb project cooking i thought this was the only gig no you you might be involved i might i might call you i'm just not sure how it's all going to work yet all oh, right okay well let me know when we get to the negotiation stage well i'm lewis phillips your host the man who doesn't understand how the beginning of podcast works and doesn't realize that he has to wait to be introduced before talking is Adam Wheeler from On Track Off Road. How is it going, Adam? I mean, you've already spoken, but how's it going? Uh, hello, everyone. Very well. In fact, I'm going to even I'm going to wreck your introduction even more by saying to Rasmus, "Doesn't he sound so professional when he's doing the sponsor read? Are you impressed? I never thought he'd have a professionalism level like this." True, and I I I cannot stop looking at his face. He's very serious. Am I? Like, yeah, it's because it's I'm trying to read and not mess up. I used to struggle with sponsor reads. No, I am much better than people give me credit for. Someone needs to like discover me and sign me to a big contract because I'm like an unearthed talent. Um, yes, again, this doesn't work, but we also have um, the Stan Husqvarna Factory Racing's Rasmus Jorgensen on the line, uh, the team manager. So he didn't finish first, second, or third at the weekend, but he was involved with the five that did in the second moto. Um, he got a trophy. He took a trophy. He, he got a trophy. But I'm not sure what a team manager does, but he got a trophy. Um, great weekend for you, Rasmus. I'm sure you're stoked. I am. It was um, a long wait. I think I haven't been on the podium with a GP win since 2020, Mantua. Uh, and that, been, was that uh, was that one two or one three with Olsen and Beaton? No, it was yeah. The first one in Mantua was one two with with Beaton and TKO, and then uh, you know we had 
triple header and Antico oh, back yeah. it up with the second round as well, I believe. So yeah. And then yeah, since then it's been um Yeah. Yeah, who can, can I just say as well, Lewis? Sorry to interrupt you uh, for the first time on this podcast. Um, how kind of refreshing it was to see that emotion, you know, Kai Wolf taking his first Grand Prix win um, in MX2. It was, I mean, we've been so, I mean, Jeffrey Hurlings now is 103 of them. And it's, it, you know, I'm sure it's very satisfactory for Jeffrey, but it's also something of a formula. But when you see a, a guy really, you know, um, recognize the fact of what he's achieved it's it's really um kind of invigorating really as a spectator i thought it was um was some great scenes so congratulations Merzmus. yeah thank you thank you guys i mean for me also being so close to kai you know the last yeah if we just start from when he got into gps you know everybody knew that he had the potential to to be a gp winner but here we are we are like what two and a half years into his MX2 career and and it just haven't happened for many reasons you know so I think a combination of of the weight and sometimes wanting so something so much it you know it was like you said Adam it was like, like a pretty cool thing to be a part of and uh, and uh, you know to see also the family and the whole team and 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 then to do it the way that we did uh, with the one two. And the one, two, three in that second motor. So uh, it was definitely uh, one to remember uh, for me and for the team. And I'm super proud of everyone involved. And um, I hope that uh, that we can um, keep being healthy this for the rest of the year because I definitely think that the potential is there with all three guys. So it can be very interesting. You can say this now because it's happened and it's in the past. If Kai hadn't won Latvia, it would have been like a shit moment wouldn't it because like you would have left the track and gone oh like shit how hasn't this happened like we needed this one Mm -hmm. no yeah sure i mean you know in motocross many things can happen you know you can crash in the start and it can ruin uh, many things but um definitely this one was we were looking forward to this one we knew that 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 kai uh could excel on that track uh, we knew Rowan would be strong, and obviously with Lucas keeping uh, the momentum going from France, uh, we are were in a good position. And now, um, what I've also learned through the years is that it will be Monday no matter what. And uh, now we are, you know, already looking ahead to Argentina next weekend, and um, hopefully we can put on another good performance. Um, doesn't have to be a one-two or a one-two-three, or you know, but uh, we need to. We need to keep it going and show good things. Well, just before we started recording, as Lewis pointed out, you're still in the office and it's uh, well, you know, into the evening um, European time on a Monday. So putting in the hard slog, Rasm. I know it's back-to-back GPs, but um, a quick question for you. I mean, you went one, two, three, second moto and, you know, fantastic results, two riders on the overall podium. But uh, the team like to give you a little bit of, uh, you know, a tough ride, don't they? I mean, all of the riders crashed in that second moto when it absolutely started pouring with rain. Um, it was quite oh. biblical, it seemed, um, you know, the downpours. I thought Kai's sort of off in particular when he missed the berm and just disappeared from view on the TV camera. I mean, it looked like he had gone forever uh, or found the largest yeah. hole ever in Latvia. Um, but yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't the easiest of, of Grand Prix wins for you. No, and it was it was a it was like I said it was a crazy race. Um, <clears throat> I, I said to the guys once we were done and and the pressure was off and everybody was happy and all that. I said to me I was I was on the infield so I was watching 
like pretty close to the track. And for me, it just happened instantly at one point. It was like, it just was a, like a light switch where the track just became extremely slippery. You know, it was still rideable in the beginning and then it just kept raining and raining. And at one point, you know, Latvia and Kegums is, is a little bit, it has that hard base. And many guys, they like to, 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 you know, to touch the berm and then, and then turn in. And, uh, we had to tell the guys to continue to just use the berms because it was that sketchy. It was so slippery. And obviously, uh, all our guys, uh, felt that. And, and actually it was funny with Kai because his bike kind of went under the banner, but he didn't. So he, he stood up and he was like, Oh, I was like, where's, there was like 15 meters both sides. <laughs> Yeah, the bike was gone and he was like, I had to get around this banner, but he, he, he ended up crawling under the banner to get to his bike because it was too far to run around the banner. Um, so yeah, uh, happy that it, that it's still, that, that they were going so well to, to still maintain those positions because uh, it's a big achievement, you know, uh, as a team. So, uh, really, really happy with that and really, really proud of everyone, you know, and, Especially with the rough times what we've had here, um, it's really uh, enjoyable to, to see the the light in all of the guys' eyes. You know, I um I need your advice because you are a team manager, and so am I. Because I have two MXGP riders with Jeremy Stewart and Ben Watson, and in qualifying, one of my riders just killed another one of my riders in the first corner and I'm struggling to get my riders under control and I don't know quite how to manage them because when I messaged Jeremy and told him that I would be fining him, he just laughed at me. And I don't, so I don't know how to handle this and I don't know if you've got some advice. But, but Lewis, I was thinking a lot since last time when we touched this, this subject about Watson last time I was on the podcast. Mm, is he, yes. he is, he is, no, but he is still racing GPs. Yes. But he wasn't racing the qualifying race because Jeremy Sewer killed him. Yeah, but I just haven't seen him. That's no, you weren't asking. We haven't seen many checkered flags lately because we are developing a motorcycle. But we may have seen the checkered flag in the qualifying race, but Jeremy Sewer killed us. So how do I manage this? Uh, we well, got to be on the same continent to begin with, haven't you? Oh, it's just, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there were, I said to Jeremy, there were 23 riders for you to hit in that first turn. Like why Ben? Like pick someone but else. Does that mean you want to hit like the electronics guy for beta because of Ben's bike stopping into the first corner on Sunday? <laughs> well, I'm not, we won't talk. Beta have just said that there was contact at the start of the second moto and that's why he retired. But I thought the bike just broke, but maybe it broke because I need to clarify this. But we need to start finishing some motos because I understand, Rasmus, your point of view, but you're not going to take my calls about signing Ben until we finish some <laughs> motos. So I do understand where you're coming from. Trust me, we're on the same page. Okay. We both want the same thing. You want a top rider, and I want to give you a top rider. So we're both mm -hmm. just we're both rowing Lewis, along together. Lewis, can I ask a far more sensible question to Rasmus? If you like. All right. Okay. Um. You said that it was going, Lewis. You said this was your favorite GP. Um. Rasmus, do you kind of agree with that? Is this like um you know a popular well, one for actually, you the guys? Actually, I have had a lot of success in Latvia. You know, with with TKO winning his uh, getting the red plate and winning he one going one one in EMX two fifty, then backing it up with was it two or three years in a row in MX two winning the GP. 
but then obviously a lot of things changed last year with the horrible accident what he had um and ended i ended up staying there with the family you know uh for i think almost 10 days so i had mixed feelings going there this year you know but i also sent thomas a message after after and said that this one was for him because it was really nice with a good experience you know after after everything last year so um i have had a lot of success there with my with my guys in the past but obviously last year was was completely in the other in the other direction and then it's good to to have another good experience this year yeah what what were your three guys saying about the track i mean like you said there is that hard base it looks very sandy but it can also be very slippery i mean the rain actually tends to help it in some ways i think but you know, it's when people come off, they tend to come off pretty big. You know, in Latvia. I mean, if you met, if you remember, Rene Hoffer broke his arm. Uh, Tony Cairoli had a pretty bad knee injury there. Uh, I think you know Axel Alitru actually ended his career. Um, you know, with a crash there. So it's um, it can be pretty brutal. Yeah, definitely, and I, and I I think it's it's it is the soil. You know, I actually raced junior world championship there in 2004 and it was very very sandy but you see that with a lot of the sandy tracks <clears throat> nowadays i feel like that that hard base is coming up you know even in lomo doing the the normal practice days it's also becoming harder and harder um, and i think a combination of that and then the square edges what it what it gives you know the track and the high speeds um it's just a bad combination sometimes so i um i don't think i don't think there was any was there any bad injuries this year no I can't think of one. Uh, yeah, Brent Van Donick dislocated his head. Ah, hit. yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Where did he crash? Do we know? I don't know. No, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you dislocate your hip on that track. I would presume the waves, but um, I. So I've done the first two rounds of pro motocross. First time ever I've done an outdoor. So very interesting to see a different championship, and it's made me appreciate a lot of the things that MXGP do that we maybe take for granted because we're so close to the situation. Um, you don't know what you've got until it's gone. And it's made... <laughs> Why is that funny? You sound like a song, you know, for a man who doesn't really like music, you, you're just you're dragging up a lyric. You don't know what you've got until it's gone. And I think it's made me realise that MXGP really is pushing towards the Formula One of motocross, not just team like not just team wise but infrastructure um presentation uh you know the pit lane the little bridge for the sighting lab the skybox all of that stuff all very nice um but at the same time it's infuriated me because i thought like as i've said to mxgp in the past you're so close to like being there and the little things that need to be fixed are so minor that it could be done so simply like for instance social media um to communicate this message clearer um i don't know where the question what the question is here other than just uh, i feel like mxgp is in a very good place and maybe it's not appreciated by outsiders and maybe even people who are inside the paddock um rasmus you can talk about this first i'm glad to hear that the grass is not always green on the other side well it's green both sides i'm a, I'm a positive man it's green everywhere um it's different but it just makes you realize, like even wash bays, it just makes you realize like what an impact these things have. Mm -hmm. No, no, I, I think that I think that you are. I think that you are right. I mean, I I haven't been a team manager that long. I've been I've been in the GP scene for what six, seven years now. 
and uh, like being at all the GPs and uh, uh, has a lot happened for sure. And I think that that you know, in the end of the day, it's a little bit like you you're looking back now five years and you have the curve, and then you have made huge improvements, right? But each year is maybe small things, and um, I think I think that it's looking good. I mean, I I think that. Um, obviously, the, the the riders are not. There's not a full gate, which I, I feel like is a shame, still, especially in Europe. Um, but like you say, the infrastructure looks good. Uh, even the paddock with those new fish tanks, I call them aquariums. Yes. Um, uh, which I am not a fan of, by the way. Uh, but they look good. You know, they look like neck. They look like it's a little bit in Next the future. Level. For some yeah, for some reason it looks like it's a little bit in the future, but I am not a fan of it because I feel like you're taking away one of the very, very important factors we have in motocross, which are the connection with the fans, you know. Uh, and we don't charge uh, one thousand euros for the fans to get into the paddock, and the fact that they can really stand and stand there and really almost hang on to the to the side of the tent and almost touch, you know, the the spare bikes and sometimes get a glimpse of their favorite rider. I think that's that's such a huge thing for the fans to come. You know, one thing is the racing, but I think many guys are also really looking forward to going to the paddock and really standing close uh, to the teams. And those aquariums, they're even dented the windows, you know? Like, you don't see anybody standing there looking in, really. Uh, so I, I think that that's a shame, but, um, but obviously it's very, very efficient, and I can definitely understand from a working point of view why they have that. You um, um But in... Yeah. You mentioned the lack, the lack of riders on the gate still in Europe. Mm -hmm. I also feel like I owe in front an apology. Well, not, not I wasn't really ever on this, but everyone always said that the entry fee needed to be lowered so that people could race. They did that, and mm -hmm. still people aren't turning up. And I think, I've said it before, I think that the way the world is now, riders don't want to go racing to finish 30th. But that's not mm -hmm. cool. It's not, I, why would I pay, for, I think it's 300 euros now, why would I pay 300 euros to enter the GP, finish 30th, that doesn't look cool on Instagram. I genuinely, mm -hmm. like, I think that is the issue because clearly it's not the entry fee anymore. Um, and in front can't fix that other than maybe tweaking the EMX system so that no one can sandbag down there. Yeah, but I, I fully agree because I did actually think, uh, I don't know the entry numbers for Germany, but at a race like Germany, I definitely thought that there would be riders thinking, oh, you know, that the goal of maybe could take home one point in the MX2 World Championship would be greater than battling for 10th in EMX 250, you know, because now the fee is the same. So I thought, uh, like you, that it would help the situation, but like you say, maybe they are they are hoping more to be battle a little bit in, in front of EMX rather than getting left almost in MX2, you know, because the level is just very, very high in the, in the front. Uh -huh. It is elitist. Um, like you said, Lewis, it's aspiring to be sort of the F1 of off-road racing because what incentive does a rider have to enter the MXGB class? Because a sponsor is not going to be over the moon with 21st position. Uh, you know, what were there, 24 riders in the gate in Latvia? Uh, it comes down to personal objectives and, and ambitions, really. A rider want to test himself against the likes of Jeffrey Hurley to get up close, perhaps learn. Uh, we'll have a personal sponsor that is prepared to, you know, invest and back that kind of vision. 
um, because I don't think you can base it on results anymore. Again, I think I mentioned it on this podcast, but you go back to the example of Ken Dijka, who was, you know, still in a position where he could race and be competitive in MHGP, but decided to knock it on the head because he saw how much work it would be to get near the top 10. And, you know, that's kind of where you need to be to realistically get any TV time or any kind of recognition. So that's, uh, you know, the sort of situation. And, you know, draw parallels now with Jose Boutron, who, you know, couldn't, you know, was in a position where he could barely score points in Grand Prix racing. Um, he's having something of a career renaissance on, on you know, in, in, in the National American Series. So it's, uh, it, oh, it's confusing. But like you say, Lewis, they, you know, credit to in front, they took steps to try to repair the health of the gate. But there's obviously bigger issues. I am. Um, while I'm <clears> apologising <throat> uh, to in front, again, I would like to apologise because I personally made a lot of fun of emx open i had a lot of laughs at that class it, i got a lot of material out of it if i was ever struggling for a conversation with someone in the paddock i went to that it was what i pulled um i think i often called it emx who wants to turn up and race um but i guess maybe the level was actually really good and maybe it was a good idea because butron just finished fifth in a moto so maybe it was good. Maybe it shouldn't have gone away, but I feel kind of responsible that it went away. So I don't know. But also that's the issue because like the idea is EMX Open went away. So these guys like Boutron should have gone back to MXGP, but they haven't. So like, again, I feel like the right step was taken to improve, but for some reason, the way that people are acting isn't how you would expect, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's also worth to mention that I, I like in a situation, for example, with, you know, standing at the moment, have pulled in Jeremy van Horebeck now to fill in. Um, it's crazy, you know, that the level is so high in MXGP now that the level has just become higher and higher. That that the level from the net, the national level and the GP level is the gap is so so big now. So you don't, you know, ten years ago you could sometimes go and and get a rider from a you know a, a decent rider from a national level and put him on a factory bike as a fill-in rider and he would do really well but these days are just over now there's such a big gap now from from these national championships you know when when our guys go and race those also it's 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 pretty it's pretty incredible the level what those guys are on you know and um, i think that has, that has something to do with it as well I mean, you have to listen to a, you know, a motocross Grand Prix team manager say those words. I, I can remember HRC. I mean, how many situations was Tim Geiser the only sort of representative on the factory bike for that massive team? And the, the reason was that Honda didn't feel they had a, there was a rider of any caliber that can come in and use the second bike, you know, maybe in short term circumstances and produce the goods. Of course, if they want to fill in and they want to put the bike out on the track, even get some information for development or whatever. They still didn't feel there was any rider you know, on an international level capable of doing that. I think Dylan Walsh had a couple of outings, didn't he? Yeah. Um, you know, in Arco de Trento. But, you know, those kind of um, selections by HRC are few and far between. So, I mean, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Rasmus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty crazy when you think about it. And uh, it's uh, we were in a situation last year, obviously, because we, had, <clears throat> we just did not have any riders anymore, you know. And uh, we had a few guys test our bike. Uh, and like it's 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 a cool project, but it's oh you gotta be you gotta be a little bit lucky and at the same time hit a good day to get those good results because those guys are also in the rhythm during the season you know they're in that race rhythm and then you're pulling somebody from from outside in and because mo- most of the guys in the GP paddock even has 
contract obligations. So you can't really pull them away from wherever they are, you know? So it's, it's extremely difficult. I will say this to end this little portion of what we're talking about. Um, when I had my meeting with David last year, which was big news in the paddock, um, I said this to him, and I still agree with it now. I said to him, there are a lot of issues here, but it's not all in front. Everyone likes to solely blame in front, but it's not just your fault. In front needs to make improvements. Yes, 100%. But so do the teams, so do the riders, so do the brands, so do the sponsors. Everyone needs to shape up and improve. And I think in front did that with the steps that they took. Um, I would still like to see an EMX 250 age limit, but I liked EMX Open going away or EMX, whoever wants to show up and race. I liked the entry fee dropping. Um, so they took steps. I think now it's a responsibility of the brands, the teams, the riders, like Adam just said, maybe the sponsors aren't interested in 21st. Well, become interested. Like maybe in front need to work on, I'd love to get a hold of in front's PR strategy because they need to spin it so that getting points in the GP is a big deal. Start an award, right? If I'm FMF to, to pick a brand, I'm if I'm in front, I'm going to FMF and I'm saying, Right, we're going to give an award to the first to the twentieth place rider every week because they broke points, and we're going to call it the FMF Point Award. There you go. Then there's an incentive to get points. Let's think differently. He's get- getting excited, Adam. You hear it? Yep. He's getting very excited. <laughs> Let's see, I'm a visionary. Um, David's got my number. Call me. Let's let's make hey. some. I think they need to create like a soapbox icon for Zoom. Um, you know, so Lewis can like you know surround his window with it when he's on on a bit of a rant or a proposal. But uh, Lewis, you know, I completely agree with you because if we sidetrack for one small moment, if you look at SMX and the vast rider purse there is there, why does Chase Sexton or Eli Tomac or Cooper Webb going to be motivated by another million dollars or whatever it is? I mean, surely you're better off in, you know, giving an incentive to those riders around the periphery of the top 10 or those working to get into the top 15. You know, that's, you know, I don't mean to sound overly socialist here, but, you know, spread the money out, you know, do it that way. I understand you might want to entice Eli Tomac because he probably, you know, will blink dollar signs at the prospect of wiping everybody. But when when you're at that level, I just don't think that makes that much of a difference. And all it is is making headlines. Um, I have the SMX payout here. It's not been released yet, so I won't say it all, but I'll give you... So first in 450s is a million. Tenth in 450s is 85,000. Twentieth in 450s is 30,000. Sixth is 130,000. So, yeah, it goes... Rasmus, if you're running a team and you have, you know, two riders who, you know, maybe are not title contenders, and you have the chance for those riders to win or the team to win a pool of money that's, you know, say in the hundreds of thousands, you know, going for top 10 results, that's obviously going to, you know, change your whole strategy as a team, isn't it? You mean going to a different series? Well, no, I mean, if if the same applied to MXGP or anything, or if you're in World Supercross, mm-hmm. I'm just saying if there was um, you know, a prize money fund or some sort of uh, reward system, you know, that was mm-hmm. more evenly spread out, then it's going to make life easier for teams to, to go right. racing. Yeah, definitely. It definitely would. I mean, it's for me, it's mind-blowing still to this day, and I have a huge respect. I have to say a huge respect to those guys showing up uh, every weekend raising GPs for uh, nothing, you know, because they're basically risking their lives um, every single week for 
yeah, what you would call a passion and maybe still a dream that is existing, you know, but might never be realized of becoming one of those guys that actually can look on their bank account and say like, oh, I'm, I, I did pretty good this year, you know, and put something aside. These guys are training. This, like to be even in GPs now and to be fighting for 18th place or 20th place, um, you still have to wake up every morning and train hard, you know, to do that. And for them to do that without really getting any reward, I have a huge respect. I couldn't do it myself, um, but I, yeah, hats off to that, you know. And and again, back to the whole in front thing. I, I think it's difficult to it's difficult for me to sit here and say what they should do better because I also see from our team perspective. I can again say that I have a huge amount of respect for any team that shows up week in week out because I know what it takes to organize everything. I know what it takes to um, to make everything work and to to be there and to be ready and uh, for the overseas and all these things, you know, it's it's a huge, huge effort for us as a factory team. Um, and then again, in front have, I don't know how many trucks they have every week in, week out, you know, and have to transport. And this again goes for the overseas, you know, they're also transporting so much stuff. So um, it's just, it's, it's, it's a crazy world, you know, and it's a, it's a sport where you, you can you know it's popular for sure but the the hardcore fans are such a small group you know compared to other uh, major sports in the world where there's so much more money involved um i obviously don't know the bookings from in front and i also you know it, it doesn't really matter for me but but um i can imagine it's it's a difficult job you know to and to make everybody happy it's impossible well they just need to put me in charge of their pr and the strategy and then everything will figure itself out um before we let you go rasmus we'll talk about uh mxgp quickly um so hurlings went one 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 he won the qualifying race for the first time um i was very impressed that prado gave jeffrey all he could handle in the qualifying race because i didn't expect mm -hmm. that, but then equally confused why that didn't happen on sunday um but Still, I think Prado needs to get a lot of credit because he is doing something that Caroli never did and Geyser never did. No one has ever kept maintained a title fight with Jeffrey like this through eight rounds. Caroli was second all the time in 2018, but Hurlings was around clear by this point. And Geyser and Hurlings have never really had this back and forth. So Prado deserves a lot of credit for doing that so far. But if he's going to win this title, he can't just rely on his strategy of consistency, being there every week, um, picking up the pieces when they become available. He's going to have to start beating Jeffrey straight up. That's the only way he's going to win this championship. So he's doing great, but he has to figure out that part of the puzzle. Right, Rasmus? He just have he just have to figure out how to beat Jeffrey Hallings, you mean? Yes. Yeah. I think when was was Prado not a rookie when he straight up passed Jeffrey in Teutonthal before they collided? He did pass him. Uh, yeah, that was, that was his that was his second year in MXGP, but that was huh. that was an incredible ride by Prado. Yeah, I remember. I remember it like it was. I was really impressed by. It. Um, oh, it's it's a difficult one, you know. I I think that anyone that has ever seen. Uh, Anyone that has ever followed uh, 
after championship runs Jeffries had, I mean, the last championship he won, he got landed on, broke his shoulder blade, came back, you know, way too early, still won. Did he not win the GP in Lommel with still a crack in his shoulder blade? Um, this guy is just, uh, he's really, really, really unbelievable. Um, but so is Prado, you know, the, the way that, the way that Jorge is riding, his style, his, uh, his technique, um, when he gets it right, you know, he, he can ride with so little effort compared to Jeffrey, who is more, let's say, manhandling this, the, the track. Uh, and I think that's how he has to, to beat Jeffrey. You know, he has to, to, he has to beat Jeffrey on the points where he's stronger than Jeffrey. That's which is how he starts, which is his, um, his technique. Uh, he's not gonna, he don't have bigger lungs than Jeffrey Hallings. Nobody has, you know, so he's not gonna be able to beat him, uh, on physics. But, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's exciting. And, and we are, are we halfway yet? No, we have no. one, one no, more no. and then we're halfway, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so many things can happen, you know, and what is it? 15 points between them. It's yep. exciting. It's, uh, it's super exciting. Um, I, I honestly um, believe, Rasmus, we haven't, we haven't seen the best of Jorge Prado yet. I don't think mm -hmm. we've seen him really, um, <clears throat> you know, chime into a rhythm where he's, like you say, his strengths are good starts and pulling away. I don't think in a one-to-one -one yeah. he's he's going to get the better of Hurlings. And like you say, there's nobody better in the last five to ten minutes of a moto than Hurlings. So mm -hmm. I think when when Prado can make those starts and set lap times that Je even Jeffrey can't knock at, then I think, you know, that's when we're going to see Prado get some points on him. But, you know, the thing mm -hmm. that alarmed me most of all was the way that Hurlings could just smash two two lap sequences in both motos um i know he had some arm pump in the first one but in the second one i mean he's able just to go two to three seconds a lap faster especially in soft softer terrain and and that kind of it almost has like a mental destructive button on the opposition it's yeah. um uh, at the moment he's gaining a little bit in psychology and i think jorge has to find some sort of uh, reply to that yeah and it's, it's pretty crazy how he how he now, I feel like Jeffrey's more calm in the beginning of the races, you know, and feeling content with being in that position and even getting past sometimes because he, uh, he's just learned over the years that he has a little bit of extra, you know, and he's building up his race. You can really see he's finding his lines. He's perfecting uh, his lines, you know, and then he's with 10 minutes to go. He's just doing lap times, which the other guys were doing in the beginning of the race. And that, and that makes the difference. So, um, yeah. It's it's incredible to see to see those two and and, and I agree with that Lewis with the qualifying race I was watching it uh, on the infield there as well and it was fun to see also the different of line choices what those two had I don't know how you could see that on TV but <clears throat> it was not a lot of places where they took the same lines you know and there was places where where Prado just gained a huge amount on Jeffrey coming into the turns but then Jeffrey would you know open the turns and go through the bumps and carry more momentum. Him and it was it was pretty interesting to see the the difference in riding on that model. Um, two quick things before we let you go, Rasmus. Um, I have heard that uh, Finland will be Fienza and Turkey will be Mantova and Matali will be a different British track. Um, have you heard? Obviously, without confirming anything, have you heard similar rumors that the schedule could change? quite a lot for the second half of the season. Yes, yes, I, I have heard that there could be uh, changes in the calendar. But I always try to listen to the rumors, smile at them, and wait till it's official. Yeah, you did that with me a lot. Every time I bought you a rumor, you just kind of like brushed me off. 
I didn't like that. Yeah, but Louis, he lives in Belgium. He's surrounded by them. He has to learn what to weed I out hear, and what he can believe. Uh, I hear, guys, I hear so many things always, you know, and it's not that I don't like to talk about it, but it's just uh, for the amount of times where I've heard things which are like right 100% all the way, you know, it's just, I, 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 I don't even know if I've ever, I've ever heard that, you know. So, um, for example, I haven't heard Faenza. I haven't heard that. Can I just interject here and say that Faenza is actually uh, totally owned or co-owned by Andrea De Vizioso, um, you know, a MotoGP, a MotoGP rider, Lewis. He's about to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this weekend in Mugello, um, and he's creating something like a compound or a, a Majora Park facility there. Um, I sent him a text actually to ask if there was any truth to the rumor that he had been approached about running an MXGP race, and he was a little elusive. But he said that the, all the construction work and the plans they have won't be finished until next year. So that kind of leads me to believe that Fianza might not be in the state to host a GP. But I'll mm-hmm. see him um, this weekend in Mugello, so I'll try and get some more gossip. I would say we should get him on the podcast, but I don't think that him and I would be able to have a very sensible conversation. Uh, yeah, he, he might have a slightly dismissive view of you. Okay. Well, speaking of dismissive views, um, thank you for coming on, Rasmus. Please send me that contract for Ben Watson quite soon because we have a lot of interest <laughs> from other teams and I don't want you to miss out. Uh, just a warning, I do not want you to miss out. I'm not I'm not even going to answer that, but I will say something else. I had several people, I would say close to five people come up to me and say that they really enjoyed when I was on last time. So you better send me a contract with some with some financial <laughs> offers if you want to have me on here. I think that I've done enough favours for you lately. I think I'm good. I think that you very much owe me one now, rather than the other <laughs> way around. So I will oh, wow. I will be calling on a favour for you soon. All right, guys. Well, thanks for having me. And um, yeah, I guess, uh, was it every second GP? Was whenever it, whenever you want to come on, you just give me a call. Uh, we'll see. Okay. See how Germany goes. Okay. Yeah. Well, Good luck in Tuchin Tower, Rasmus. Will Will you be in Indonesia? By the way, you told me you were going to be. In yeah, Indonesia. I think. Well, I messaged a couple of riders and said, "Am I crazy for thinking of going to Indonesia?" And they said, "Yes." Yeah, definitely. Okay, so I've yeah. cancelled that. I think lock it, lock it, and lock I think I'm going to do. Okay. Cool. The big return. <laughs> yep. Yep. Be yep. ready. Okay. Well, thank <laughs> you. Great weekend, uh, Nastan Husqvarna Factory Racing's Rasmus Jorgensen. Thank you for coming on, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. See ya. Bye-bye. See ya. Hi, Adam. This is the the quality of the podcast has now plummeted. Um, Honestly, that was really listen? good, wasn't it? Yeah, I, mean, I think we were both a little concerned about having him on so quickly after the last time we had him on. But and to be honest, maybe he's a bit mad because we basically gave his team zero credit for finishing one two. <laughs> yeah, we uh, yeah we could have been a bit more complimentary. But what people can't see from this call is that Rasmus is almost ninety percent of the time smiling um, when you're talking. Um, I think there's a great deal of affection between both of you, so it's very he, nice. I think I, I think I am a joke to him. Okay. <laughs> I think essentially he just thinks he just thinks this fucking guy. <laughs> um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna push. I've got an idea for this point idea. I've got I'm gonna make I'm gonna push for it. Okay. Well, so, you have to dig up some statistics like you usually do and make a concise, very clear article like you usually do and see if it gets some traction. I think that 
I, I think I've got, I think I can bring this. And if there's an in front award for the point, remember where you heard it first. And that just, came, I've never thought of that before. It just came to me. That's the type of visionary I am. Um, I've lost. Can we, um, no, can we go back to, we were talking about Prado and Hurlings. I mean, these two guys are clearly, you know, the, the, the standout riders in MHGP at the moment. I mean, Roman Febro was kind of close. He had a good ride in Latvia as well, but was this maybe the race where the pendulum swung a little bit more towards Hurlings in terms of the championship? I mean, the, the way that he kind of just worked his way up, um, you know, through the top three there, took positions away from Febra and Prado. I mean, he, he he can do, he can do, he does whatever he wants, doesn't he? Yeah. And that's, that's why I struggle. Like I want to give Prado all the credit in the world and it's disrespectful to favor Hurlings for the championship so much. But for that reason, I just feel as though Hurlings isn't concerned with Prado. Prado Hurlings feels like he has Prado eating out of the palm of his hand, even though he's 15 points down. Like even um, I got sent in a press conference uh, because I needed the quotes. And Prado said in a press conference, like, oh, it was great to give, um, we know how great Hurlings is in the sand. So it was great to give him a run in the qualifying race. And Hurlings just smirked. And I know Jeffrey well enough where I could read the smirkers. <laughs> Yeah, that works out well, didn't it? Like, 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 <laughs> and actually, I was thinking this like when Rasmus was talking. The qualifying race was incredible for Prado. And at that point, if he could have somehow replicated that on Sunday, I think he would have given Jeffrey something to think about. Because Jeffrey, on Saturday night, Jeffrey would have at least been like, huh, that was closer than I thought. And then after Moto 1, he would have gone, oh, okay, nothing to worry about. But if Prado could have replicated that, maybe Jeffrey would have gone, hmm, that's different that's concerning to me and then maybe the pendulum starts to swing towards prado but that didn't happen i am um, yes and also i think prado is playing a smarter longer game because there is still 100 points up for grabs in winning saturday races for the rest of the season that's quite a chunk of change don't forget that um you know while jorge is working with joel smets and and kind of there is a strange uh, division in the the peer mobility group teams there with gas gas and ktm uh you know the carly guys claudio and davide uh they were also intrinsic to tony cairoli's um championship uh, bid against hurlings in 2018 and i'll disagree with your point a little bit there lewis because in that season i think tony had a strategy where he knew he wasn't as fast as hurlings but he also knew that if he was right behind him every week tried to apply a bit of pressure and wait for jeffrey to make a mistake and break something which he did then he could profit. And I think the race or the two races that Hurlings missed that year, uh, I want to say Otto Biano right in the in the Italian yeah. stand. I mean, Cairoli went 1-1, I believe. So he took like full profit of the fact that Jeffrey wasn't there. And then he just, you know, had that strategy whereby he kind of said to Hurlings, you know, you go for it, but at the moment you make a mistake, I'm going to be here. And, you know, it worked out for Jeffrey that year because 2018 was one of the most dominant seasons I've ever seen. Uh, but, you know, I think, Tony had the only strategy that he could implement and maybe Prado has to do the same but um, I think where Jorge is perhaps better than Tony Cairoli is in the starts of races and being able to build up um, a lead even if it's five or six seconds where Hurlings is not able to do much about it in the sand it was a different contest I I agree with you because when I was processing this idea that I had I did think about 2018 in detail and I also thought about Ottaviano, but I went a different way 
And I thought, yes, Otto, Herlings missed Otto Biano, and then Crowley was 12 points down, I think. So put himself back in the picture. Whereas if Herlings were to miss a round this year, that would be catastrophic. Whereas in 2018, it was just, eh, I lost some points. Whereas if he were to miss Tuchental, I don't know how he comes back. Now, maybe actually that isn't anything to do with Prado, and that's just an effect of the qualifying race points. Um, but that's where I look at those situations slightly differently. Yes, uh, and you know, I think the the Indonesian double is going to be a big thing. I mean, Hurlings is brilliant on every track, but you know, you're going to have two kind of hard packed venues there. I mean, who knows what the level of track preparation is going to be like? Uh, it's going to be extremely hot. Prado suffered in those kind of climates before. Uh, I think those the results of those races are going to be fascinating because I think Hurlings came back in 2018 from that collarbone break and. And either won uh, or took a podium finish in Indonesia of all places. So that kind of really not only put the championship trail back on track, but like slapped it right at the front of the pack again. So, uh, yeah, I just thought his latest win, number 103, I think that's four for the season. Uh, maybe six podiums now from eight or seven podiums. Um, you know, I thought that was the best one yet, I, even better than Spain. Um, it was a big, big message, like you say. I mean, he went one, one, one across the weekend for the first time. And, you know, Hernes is doing all these ridiculous races when there's not a Grand Prix, isn't he? He's racing, whether it's, he's in France or in the Netherlands or in the UK. Uh, he's just not stopping. Um, and maybe one small weakness would be his admission in the first moto that he suffered a arm pump. And despite all this track mileage that he's accruing, it's still maybe the... The synergy with the, with the current race bike is still not at like you know ninety ninety five percent as you would expect. Um, speaking of Hurling's win total this season, <laughs> um, Prado has still only won one GP, and that again isn't going to get the job done. So, yeah, Hurling's hasn't won. It's not like Hurling's has won all the GPs and Prado won the other one. Renault's had one. Sewers had one. Fernandez has had one. Um, like the the door has been open for Prado to still gp wins that, that hurlings didn't have so i just feel like he's doing great but he just needs to capitalize a tiny bit more when the opportunity presents itself and then then he really will be in this thing um you mentioned uh roman fevre and he ha i think i said this a few weeks ago he has been very good but i just feel like he also struggles to capitalize because he's always so close but not quite there um and he far exceeded my expectations in Latvia, again, proving that maybe I do him a disservice. But I just don't really know how I feel about Fevra ever. Like, I just don't. So there we go. Second podium in a row. Uh, you know, first Grand Prix of back-to-back -back events. Maybe the start of some, you know, mid-season level of form. He's not that far away in the points. He's not that close either. But, you know, <laughs> he's like seventy-eight yeah. now. But. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you can't. You know, with just with the amount of points on offer, um, he's not ridiculously out of it. And the fact that he is able to win motos, I mean, he could end up being the guy that messes things up a little between the, the Prado and the Hurlings dynamic. I mean, there's nobody quite so close yet because you know Jeremy Sewer is just um, there one week and gone the next. I mean, after France, I thought you know we would see. You know, like a a bounce for Jeremy, but it just didn't happen in Latvia. Yeah, I think he he um he was beat up after that uh, first turn crash in the qualifying race where he rudely took down Ben Watson. <laughs> nothing wrong at all. Uh, like he was literally just a bystander. He's basically a spectator, and Jeremy just pummeled into him. 
Um, so I think he was beat up from that. But yes, I did. I would have expected more from Jeremy. But on the flip side, I, he could win this weekend because Tushantal Villas, they're very similar tracks. Um, and it, yeah, if Jeremy wins this weekend, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But he is definitely weird to say for Jeremy, but he's definitely on an inconsistent swing. Well, he he was fifth overall and fourth overall, and and from uh, you know I don't want to destabilize a delicate relationship, but were we slightly disappointed with Glenn Coldenoff's fourth place? I mean, let's bear in mind that this was where he took his debut Premier Class victory in 2015, the penultimate Grand Prix win for Suzuki, uh, where he also gave Gas Gas their maiden Grand Prix win in in the Premier Class in the lockdown triple in 2020. I mean, Coldenoff has good previous form at this venue. Yeah, I think he expected to be on the podium as well. Um, reading his statement from Yamaha, he said that he was happy with the aggression that he found in the first moto, which is something he's been lacking. Um, and I think that's been a career thing for Coltonoff. But the second moto, he just couldn't get comfortable with the bike, with himself, and just wasn't really in a position to charge, which doesn't surprise me because Latvia, as Rasmus kind of referenced, Latvia is a very... It's a weird track because it's sandy, but it's not sandy. So I think that I think the bike setup issues really shine brightly at Latvia uh, or in Latvia. So that doesn't surprise me at all. But fourth is still like Koldenov has been nowhere for a little while now. So fourth is a return to form somewhat for him. I still don't know what Koldenov does next year. I'm not going to talk about the Yamaha rumors that I talked about because I got in trouble, but. I don't even know if I told you I got in trouble, but I did get in trouble. Um, <laughs> um, um, but I did hear that a rider tested a factory motorcycle, and, I, and no one knows who this rider was, but I rung Jeremy and said, I can't believe you didn't tell me that you tested X bike, and he said it wasn't me. So it could either be Prado, Sewer, or Coldenoff in my mind, because it was I was told it was a top rider. So and those are the only three who are available. Uh, maybe you're referring to Jeremy Van Horbeck stepping in for Pauls Jonas, you know, the Latvian hero who couldn't make it because he had a thumb operation and still had a big cast on his hand. No, I think it was, um, it, I think it was t- a test of a Kawasaki. Uh, I gave you a get out of jail card there. You could have said, yes, yes, that might have been it. And that, you know, you would have been, you know, covered up. When I was on, uh, the Popper Mech show last night, a fan questioned how I, how I currently felt about my bet with you that, Jonas would outscore Fernandez this year, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I forgot. I which I forgot was a thing, but that that is not. Going and how did you well. answer? I mean, I'm gonna. I'll probably. I'll go back and listen to the pulp show. But the problem is, when it's four and a half hours long, it takes me about a week to get through it. So, how did you answer that? Did you did you like share any of your humble pie around the studio? No, I think I said that I can't really think about that because it makes me too emotional. <laughs> because Steve jumped in and said, what, you picked Fernandez to win the title? And I said, no, the complete opposite. <laughs> um, I picked Jonas to be better for Fernandez. And Steve accused me of only doing that because Jonas is my friend. But I genuinely believed that Jonas could do it. And I still do. The light at the end of the tunnel must be approaching soon. It must be. Um well, now Paul says his thumb permanently in an up position to support your claim, but unfortunately, it's not because he's going to beat Fernandez; it's because he's had surgery on it. Paul's does have a Paul's does have a second year on his standing construct Honda deal, which is fortunate. Thank, thank God. Yes, because I don't know where he would go otherwise. Well, maybe I'm sure standing would probably keep him, but if not, I don't know where he would go. Um, speaking of riders and where they may go, Calvin Vlandering continues to be. 
just consistent, impressive, and kind of not missing a beat. And there was a fantastic column on On Track Off Road that started (laughs) with a very powerful opening line that really got the reader just engaged. And I think it read something like, Jorge Prado, Jeffrey Hurlings, and Calvin Flandering, full stop. One of these things is not like the other. And at that point, I, as a reader, was hooked. Where, like, where is this story going to go? But Blandering, along with Hurlings and Prado, the only riders who have been in the top 10 overall at every round this year. And I think that means something. And I, I text Calvin that, and I said, if you're going to talk to teams, present that. Like, go in with that and be like, this is what I can do. Because that is something. Yes, yes. And we've accused, or I have accused, uh, Calvin of not being particularly consistent um, over the years. And, you know, he's kind of um, subverting that that kind of opinion. Uh, but I will add a slight caveat that we're still only, you know, kind of 40% of the way through the season. Um, you know, if he wrecks himself in Germany, then it's back to square one. But at the moment, there's no other rider in MHGP apart from, say, Alberto Ferrato who is putting himself in, in in a prime position to be a great kind of uh, B rider to an, to an A-list guy. Um, I'm just doing some quick math. So Vlanderin has this, going along with your claims that Vlanderin is inconsistent. Um, and I think you mean that in the sense of an injury, injuries, don't you? Like missing races. Yes. yes. Longevity. So Vlanderin has done 115 MXGP rounds, MXGP and MX2 in his career. And he's missed 22. Is that a lower number than you would expect? Uh, yeah, it feels like there should be more. Yeah, maybe it's because he's, dis- he's disappeared. Well, no, maybe he's disappeared at kind of key moments when he's been building up momentum. Can uh, I actually put the podcast on pause right now? Because people who are listening to this show remember last time we were talking about Jeremy Sewer's consecutive race run. Which yeah. is now up to a hundred and seventy. I don't. Two? Yeah, I think so. So you know he's in the hundred and seventies, isn't he, Jeremy? Yeah. So for consecutive Grand Prix race appearances. So you said you thought Joel Smets was the only other rider with a longer streak of a pit, you know, turning up for a Grand Prix. I actually got Joel on the phone after our podcast last week, and uh, or the last Grand Prix rather. So I asked him about it because he, you know, he texted, we texted while we were recording and he said yep. it was a, a long story that needed explaining. And he went on to explain that he How long raced. Was the phone call? It was quite long. <laughs> uh, he raced consecutively for 14 seasons. He did not miss a single Grand Prix. But then he said, you know, the GP seasons then were quite short. Uh, for example, in 2003, uh, towards sort of the end of his career, uh, you know, he was racing in both what was the six, the old 500 category, which was called 650s then, as well as the MXGP class because it was just one moto per category. But he was racing twice. Oh, that doesn't count. That doesn't. No, count. no, no, it no, 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 no. I'm just explaining it. Oh. This doesn't count towards his general numbers, but I'm okay. just saying. You know, that season, there were only 12 Grand Prix races, whereas now we're 19 to 20. So it makes sense that someone like Jeremy Sue is going to crack up like a bigger number of of races in a faster time than Joel would do. And uh, he also did not miss a race for injury up until 2004 when he wrecked his knee pre-season, tried to race the first few rounds of the World Championship and eventually had to pull out. And then I think it was in 2005 where he did the knee for good and that prompted his retirement. 
So there you go. He said, we finished a conversation where he said, Jeremy Sewer needs to accrue pretty much like 14 consecutive seasons to, you know, uh, equal his feet, which, you know, he's, I think he's pretty close to doing because when was Sewer's first GP year? Maybe 2014? Uh, yeah, or 13. I'm, well, I'm not sure. Well, anyway. I, so I'm the man behind the Sewer number. Yes. I, wait, no, do I count? Oh, no, I've lo- I don't think I count. Like 2013, when he would do one-off GP, I don't think I've counted those. I, I'm counting consecutive, like, yeah. he, he didn't enter the last round of 2013 because he was an EMX 250 rider, so I don't count that. That's right. The shit starts from 2014, round one, because he was a full-time rider, and from there, so, yeah, so 14, so that's... But no, I didn't realise this was going to turn into Jeremy Sewer slander. Um, no, not at well, all. I, I, did. I thought you were going to go the other way and say, not that it's easier for Sewer to rack up a number now because there's more races. I thought you were going to go the other way and say it was easier for Smets because there were less races, so less risk, and it was easier to kind of stay healthy. Yes. Uh, I mean, you must forget as well that Smets died very late. I think he only got a bike or something, you know, ridiculous when he was sort of 17, 18 years old. Uh, you know, so I think the, he explained that the modern Grand Prix rider has had a head start. But then, you know, a different era, wasn't it? I mean, Smets was also doing national championship races as well as Grand Prix, internationals as well. Um, I think he even appeared and did that strange race in Qatar that George Jobet organised, um, you know, at the end of the season. So, yeah, but um, I think Smets still has the distinction. But when you come up to consecutive race numbers, it's going to be very close, I think, with Jeremy Sewer. But, you know, Joel didn't have a, a firm number in mind. He said all he really kind of minded was championships and race wins. You know, when he got to 50, he was uh, as proud as punch. Yeah, Sewer also says he doesn't care about this. So I guess I guess maybe yeah. he shouldn't either. Um, How dare they? How dare they ruin our attempts to make stories about them? No, this is another this is another problem and another reason why David needs to make me the head of in front PR and social strategy. You, you don't want that job. That would be a horrific job. You'll, no, be, trying I, to, you'll, be, you'll I want be doing to be doing it. As, well, there you go then. I mean, that's <laughs> no. never going to happen. <laughs> I, no, I would do it for free, to be honest. Like, I, I, I genuinely like, for instance, when we, so I figured out that sewer consecutive stat two years ago. And we, it's been talked about, Yamaha have used it, Paul's used it on TV, we've talked about it on here, MXGP haven't picked it up at all. And it's like, that is a, that is something that you can do something with. Like, please, like, it's like I say, it's such a minor fix. It doesn't cost money, it doesn't take time, it's just like having someone with that mindset yes. to be ready to uh... capitalise. Well, the only person within the infrastructure would use information like that would be Paul Malin on the commentary. And Paul's um, collection of statistics is, you know, um, almost peerless. I mean, he really, really, really knows his stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think um, somebody somewhere needs to tap into your um, ability to create something out of nothing, Lewis. Oh, okay. I don't know. That sounded like a bit of a dig, but um... no, I was, I was again playing you a compliment. Okay, just um, yeah, just well, listen. Who... Who else stood out for you in Latvia? But my fault, we got wildly off topic. I mean, Valandran yes. finished sixth, great result. Uh, Ferrato um, seventh. I was, yeah, I, was, I think we should, let's just quickly smash through MXGP. Um, Ferrato was seventh, and I'm told that he is seriously banged up from his France crash. So that is very impressive. Um, and it is impressive. Lupino was eighth because his beta finishes races, which is a shame. 
Um, Ruben Fernandez is very good in Latvia because he was on the podium last year, but still fast but crashy, I guess. So there's that. And if Paul, uh, yeah, you, you that would have been a good opportunity of, to capitalize on points. Speaking of digs, you just get your dig in there, no problem. And um, can I just belatedly say, since you've taken the whole of the podcast so far and haven't mentioned it, and he's probably not listening anyway, but happy birthday, Ben Watson. A belated happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Ben Watson. Honestly, there you go. Um, was... You know your man, your manager, and your you know your caretaker, and whatever doesn't remember these details. But um, best wishes, Ben. I can't believe you're still only what twenty six. It was twenty uh, years ago yesterday that my life changed forever. Well, that's it. You know, and he didn't even remember to say it. So twenty six years old is an MSG MS two Grand Prix winner, and you know MXGP still has to be conquered. Did um did you see that after France? I figured out that. Uh, the second moto in France was his 250th moto in the FIM Motocross World Championship. It's quite like oh, nice. a number than you'd think, isn't it? But like, I think Ben yeah. was surprised how high that number is as well. Yeah, yeah. Quarter of a ton. Is that, well, quarter of a thousand? Yeah. Um, Guillaume was in the top 10 again, so that's good. Mitch Evans is 11th and slowly making some sort of progress, but it maybe needs to be a lot quicker because contract talks are going to start here shortly. Um, so Is Mitch yeah. going to be back in Australia next year, do we think? I don't know. Well, I don't know. He could follow in the footsteps of Ben Watson and go from Kawasaki to Peter. Um, because Lupino's contract's up, but, but I, joking with Rasmus, Ben Watson does have a second year on his deal with Beta. Um, hence why the jokes are okay. Um, I don't know because I think Beaton was unlucky to have to go back to Australia, so I think that there are spots for these riders. But yeah, he yeah, he, it's I'm yeah, it's worrying. Obviously, um, Bogus I think is sick at the moment, but he was actually having his best ride or his best GP in a while. I feel. Um, well, listen, hang on, hang on a minute. Don't skip over you know uh, Max Spees and Tom Cock as well. Two Germans finishing twelfth and thirteenth because the German GP is next. So German fans, you know, um, this you know Simon Lagenfelder is injured. We know uh, the, the the latest great hope. But um, there's still some capable riders in MSGP, and um, that might be um, Spees' best result this season, actually. Yeah, that's definitely Spees' best result. Tom Cock has been uh, a ninth to 13th rider for a while now, silently quite um, effective. Uh, Alvin Usland hasn't actually done as well as I thought this season. That's just struck me looking at the results now. I cannot believe that Tanner Leoc raced. When I saw that, <laughs> I just shook my head. <laughs> Why, um, how can you not believe it? That's the... That's, that's... You know, you, when you land in Riga and you walk out the airport and you smell that Latvian air, that Tanner Leoc is going to be part of the Latvian Grand Prix. Well, this is another... So, genuinely, when I saw that he was racing, I did shake my head and just go, what like, what, the, what on earth? But is this another thing where if in front would jump on this PR opportunity and spin it in a way that is quite... Because, for instance, if this was F1 and a driver like Tano Leop came back for a race. I feel like that would be massive news. He'd be interviewed on TV. There would be career stats. There would It would be made into a big fanfare. Whereas because MXGP do nothing with it, I kind of just, I also just shake my head. Whereas maybe if they put a lot of PR spin on it, it would have an impact on me. And then I would talk about it more favorably. Uh, I agree with you. You have a point. Maybe it's the fact that Tano was just like that kind of old sofa in, in the corner of the room. Uh, you know, when was his first Grand Prix season? Go two thousand and one. I want to say. I was going to say one. I mean, that, or two thousand and two, perhaps when he was riding with the Van Garni KTM team, same setup as Tyler Rattray and Ben Townley. 
uh, oh, to still be racing in Grand Prix. I mean, he scored 10 points. Um, you know, it's it's very impressive. I think his kids are racing as well. So the Leoc name is going to be hanging around MHGP for a while. And he was, uh, he classified just in front of Ben. Yes, Ben had uh, issues. Um Sewer being one of them, and then bike issues in the second race. And arm pump in the first race because he hasn't, with the thumb and bike issues, he hasn't actually done many races lately. So arm pump crept in in uh, Moto 1. Um, MX2, let's move on. Yes. Uh, Kaido Wolf 1. Skavana, yeah, 1 2. As we mentioned, it was very important for him to win, get that monkey off of his back uh, because it was his first GP win. People seem to. Um, forget that. I think everyone just kind of takes it for granted that he must have won a GP at some point, but he hadn't. So to do it with a one-one-one was um very impressive, but also expected. So it's not really a shock. If anything, it happened way later than it should have. Um, I've you've been you've been advocating for this for a while now. You said the floodgates were open. You know when Kai wins a race. I know we, but I know it's maybe a bit rude to say in front of Rasmus, but. Um, did the surface, the sandy nature of it, come play into his favour? Uh, I, I can't. Is Kai really going to go one-one again at Tuchintao on that hard pack and that kind of rutty, skeletric style circuit? No. And I think that no one expects that on the team. I think that the strategy must be on hard pack. Kai needs to do what Adamo and Beniston can't do in sand. He basically needs to outweigh the negatives. Um, I think the Beniston wins this weekend. I think that Adamo goes 2-3, and I think the Kai goes 5-4, 4-3, something like that. So I do think there will be another swing. But despite all of that, Kai is my favourite for the MX2 Championship, I think. Yeah, I I I was surprised that he took the red plate. Um, Adamo, you know, he had a very kind of solid Grand Prix fourth overall. Maybe expected a little bit better, but like you say, I think you know um, the hard pack of Tokesso and Tuchintown might be a little bit more up his alley. Uh, but it's cool. I mean, we got a real title fight on now in MX2, and from what I hear, um, you know, I got in contact with Hans Corvus, who's the team principal of the Monster Energy Yamaha MX2 team, and um, Yago Hertz could be back for the Indonesian double um, after his wrist operation. So that's only what one Grand Prix, uh, one more Grand Prix is going to miss. Yeah. But so wait, so what is the point? Of how many back his girts at the moment? I didn't actually look at that. Uh, three nineteen to three six seven, which is twenty nine, thirty nine, forty nine, fifty nine, forty two. No, forty eight back. So after this weekend, he'll be ninety. A hundred. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not. I don't think. It, I don't. I know what they're shooting for, but I just don't see how it's realistic. Yeah. Well, maybe he could play. I mean, if it doesn't work out and he's not fully fit and it's, it's going to be a struggle, then he could help Benestant's bid for the championship. Uh, and, you know, he was, I, I'm sure the team will still want to see both Yamahas, uh, if we're counting out sort of Rick Elzinga, um, you know, as high as possible in the standings. So that's coming to as well. But, yeah, I think the championship is now looking tricky, isn't it? Yeah. Did you ask Hans about the rumours? No. Okay. I didn't. Moving on. Uh, I don't think I don't think he would have told me either. I don't know. I don't know. I think he might have. Right. Well, he would have told you if they were false. So that would have been, <laughs> and he would have no commented or forced, which is a 
that would have told us everything we needed to know. Um, but I got told that they are 100% false with quite oh. firm conviction, you could say. We're not we're not giving any information at all to the listeners here. I mean, you know, what? they must be sort of screaming well, what, the, you know. What you mean about what the rumor is? Yes. Oh, on a previous podcast, I said that I had heard a rumor from many people that Kimia were going to take over the four fifty. Oh, the MXGP team, right? Oh, did okay. you not even know what I was talking about? Uh, I thought you mentioned a. I thought you were talking about a rider. Oh no, that that no, yeah, I got yeah. So I then I then after that podcast, I did more digging. Um more people had heard this rumor and no one told me it was crazy no one had any sort of rebuttal so i tweeted it and i had to take the tweet down <laughs> well, why did you me. have to take the tweet down huh why did you have to take the tweet down i was told i'm hard on own your account i was told to take the tweet down no you must have been asked to take the tweet down there's a difference mm, i don't know there was quite some firm conviction there um uh, okay uh, it was in my. I don't think if I'd left it up, I don't think it would have gone well. Um, right. Roman van der Mostijk was second. He he's having a fine season. A fine season. Um, I'm quite impressed and happy for him to be having this sort of season because he's had a lot of highs and lows in his career. Um, yeah, but not to put a negative spin on it. But I'm also concerned because he's got to go 450s next year, and I don't know where his career goes from here, which is a shame because he's currently making massive strides forward and that may ultimately lead to nothing. I think he has to be realistic. Uh, you know, he probably won't walk into a factory ride. I mean, let's say, for example, Calvin Volanderen gets his well-earned step up to, to a factory team. I think that kind of Yamaha Geben slot would suit somebody like Van der Moosdijk. I mean, I think it's very easy to say, well, yeah, he's going to be on that team or that standard of bike, you know, his career is over. But, you know, there are people in the paddock watching the pro- the progress of riders, um, you know, how what they're working, how they're approaching events. Uh, you know, if you have a period where your results are not, you know, particularly impressive, then, you know, I think there's people that look behind the scenes at the bigger picture. So I don't think he should be panicking too much by thinking, well, I'm going to be stepping into MHGP and I'm not uh, doing a Febra or, or a Hurlings and, and winning or a Geyser and winning at the first go. Uh, you know, I think he has to build it up and I think he has time on his side. Uh, Beniston was third after a first home crash in the second race. Um, that's yeah, good ride. He, yeah, he's actually really impressed me because he was having, he he was in a dark place uh before Gertz got injured. And since Gertz got injured, he's really woken up and put himself back into this thing. So I definitely take him as a more serious threat for the title at this point than I did um, two weeks ago. That's for sure. Uh, Adamo was fourth. That's kind of the best that we'll get from him in the sand. If I'm I'm very interested to see how Adamo is at Lommel because you know that Caroli would have identified this issue and we have two months to go until Lommel. So I would presume that Caroli is going to really try and fix this by the time we get there. Um, or so, Smets, especially. Yeah, that's true. I guess it's Smets's job. Did you read the very fine interview with Adamo in On Track Off Road, where your column about Valandrum was also placed? No, I never saw an Adamo interview on that page. I read everything oh. on that page. I swear I didn't see an Adamo interview. Yes, it's the first story there. Go and read it because it's you know I think you, his um, mature uh, approach to a world championship is. I mean, it's really an intelligent way to go about it i think that's why he might do it at the end of the season because he's got his head in the right place in terms of looking way ahead uh, in terms of the grand prix to come i mean if he goes to lommel and doesn't finish top five 
but still keeps his head, you know, on the Grand Prix to come, then, you know, he's he's going to be all right. Uh, Kevin Hawkmo was fifth, which is a huge breakthrough for him. He has had a terrible season, but that is a massive step in the right direction. Uh, uh, I need to speak to Mark Deruva about why it's been so bad, but it has been really bad. So that is... Don't make him more depressed, please. Don't get him all down and negative. Okay, I won't do that. No, we need to keep Mark in a happy place. I did just read a comment that said, Lewis is way too happy. I much preferred cynical Lewis. <laughs> was that yeah? Was that in reference to the, your Pulp MX appearance, perhaps? Yeah, but I guess in general. So I don't know. I feel like I've been kind of cynical on this podcast. I, very high and low on this podcast. I'm not sure, but um, we'll see. Uh, Everts was sixth. Harrop was seventh. That's that's another step forward for Harrop as well. I don't think it's gone as well as anyone expected since he moved to KTM. It kind of makes yeah. you wonder whether it was even worth it. Um, but nonetheless, seventh was somewhat of an improvement. Um, jumping down the list, Lucas Coonan was very quick, should have been on the podium. No, wait, um, eighth overall, mentioned to Isaac Gifting, uh, harshly done by, you know, his team folded, of course, pre-season. A very underrated rider, I think. Um, this is last year in MX2, but if he can keep, you know, if he can use eights as a basis and keep pushing up from there, then I think Isaac would be another one of those riders who could be vying for, say, like a Valandran-type saddle. I feel Isaac will be on JWR next year. I think that's quite likely. Swedish team, Swedish rider, 452. Yeah. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, Lucas Kunin should have been on the podium, but he had a bike issue in the first race, just a freak thing. Camden McClellan was 11th. That's um, very positive for him. He missed the first half of the season with a shoulder injury, came back in France. So for him to... I think I actually believe in McClellan quite a lot. Um, I watched him quite closely in EMX 250, and he was never too flashy but i saw enough from him where i was like he could be something and i think we're starting to see that now with an 11th overall in latvia uh sasha kunan continued the sasha kunan experience where there were yeah recovered from concussion as well in the last grand prix uh to make the gate again uh he seems that he's a lively starter isn't he and a lively rider because there are <laughs> many, many, many things that happen to him during the races. Uh, goggle lane adventures, um, crashes, speed, potential. He kind of ticks every single box every single time he lines up. Would uh, I'm interested to know how it worked where Lucas was placed at Husqvarna and Sasha was placed at KTM. Like, why not the other way around? And our KTM looking at this situation going, ah, why didn't we get Lucas? Yes, uh, I really don't know the story on the division. Uh, maybe it was, the, the, well, the decision over which twin to take fell to Husqvarna and, you know, Rasmus and, you know, decided to plump four for Lucas. Um, I think there was a general opinion that Lucas was a little bit more advanced physically. Uh, yeah. He's the, sort of the stronger and the taller of, of the brothers. So perhaps that was, um, and of course, the decision to put them in MX2 anyway came extremely late. So perhaps it was a, a, a thing of logistics and circumstance. Yeah, I think that I think that the before the final decision was made, Rasmus was already pushing for Lucas. So I think that when it was decided they would be placed in Austrian teams, maybe the legwork had already been done at Nastan with Lucas. Um, well, also remember as well that Van der Moosdijk was aging out, as we've been saying all the time. So Husqvarna were looking for their next project and yeah. you know I, I think just a slightly more advanced stage when it came to lucas rather than sasha tipped the scale 
this is an American podcast ish. Well, not really, I guess. I don't, that's weird to say. Maybe. I don't know. But there was another American in Latvia because Devin Simonson was for some reason called up to replace Cornelius Tyndall as Alberto Ferrato's teammate. I have no idea how this happened or why this happened or where this came from or what the story is or what the connection is or anything. I have no idea. It makes zero sense. But he actually, I I feel that he performed well and exceeded my expectations, but then equally, he was kind of the last of the names that you recognize, I guess you'd say. Um, uh, well, apart from Jack Chambers. Well, the second race, he was 15th and behind him was Lorenzo Ciabatti. Yeah, well, also I think Yam, Yam Pansar was 15th. Um, you know, just behind him. I think we would expect better from the Slovenian as well. I'm looking at the moto results. What oh you're looking at, oh you're looking at the overall. I see you. I see you. Yes. Um but no, he scored points both times. I think that's all you can ask when someone's making their GP debut. No matter how many riders are on the line, just finishing the races is a bit of an accomplishment because um these tracks can be a bit of a shock to the system. And Latvia especially. Uh... Yeah, and I think maybe making his debut in Latvia might be a slightly kinder than Germany. You think? Yeah, because Germany is going to be very narrow in one line. Um, you know, depending on the weather, it could just be like a blue groove, hard, rutty mess. Um, you know, or it could be very dusty. And uh, yeah, I think you know, for an American rider particularly, then Latvia may have had more options or been a little bit of a kinder introduction. I said to him that he would he would go out for free practice, think Latvia is the sickest track in the world because it would be prep nice, it would flow nice lines, and then by the end of the weekend, he would be basically trying to stay alive and hate it. And think <laughs> it's um, because what sticks out in my mind uh, about Latvia is the second moto, would it have been 2017, when Sean Simpson and Arno Tonus were on Wilvo, and they both got yeah. injured in the second moto at Latvia, along with a load of other riders. Um, and the track was basically so beat that everyone crashed because that's just the way that that track gets. Um, yeah, well, it breaks motorcycles as well. There's been quite a few uh, breakdowns. Tommy Sell, I think, broke down in his title seat, title uh, dispute season with Jeffrey Hurlings. Um, yeah, Simpson again, Motocross of Nations had a chain pop off. Uh, I'm trying to think of more examples now, but um, yeah, it's it's a brutal place. Yeah, I don't think we should. I would quite like to get Tommy on this podcast, but I'm not sure how well that would go. Yeah, why not? I mean, he can tell us about his, um, you know, his experience racing Supercross and also the Nationals. Yeah, I'm just not sure how close he's following MXGP though. Well, he could talk about what it's like to battle Jeffrey for a title. That's yeah, uh, that's relevant. We just made a connection. Um, I'm sure he'll be very well. He's media friendly now, so that'll be very easy to figure out. <laughs> um, right, I think we're well, done. He, um, Yes, you you loved Latvia, and we should point out why because it's um it's a unique kind of track and venue. Um, Riga is a fantastic city. I recommend anybody visiting it. Um, you know, it's it's just generally a cool event. How do you feel about Germany in comparison? I for some reason I always said this every year. Germany was the one event on the calendar that I didn't look forward to going to, and I didn't want to go to, and I never knew why. But once I got there, I liked it. But for some reason in my mind, it it just was very negative about, I, I don't know if it's because from pit lane, you're around the corner and so you can't really see anything. So that sticks out. I don't really know. But I always had a very negative 
sort of mindset about Germany. For instance, there was a high chance that Germany was going to be my first GP this year. And I was like, oh, really? Like, of all the GPs, Germany. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, but you always watch from pit lane, which is the worst place to watch. You need to they get to the infield where you can see. Your best. Uh, yeah, but you can get through there. And um, you were tweeting and looking at lap times and stuff. I mean, you can do that afterwards in the analysis. You need to be at the track and get really, you know, close up. That's where yeah, you I need don't... to sort of get the pr- proper information, Lewis, instead of just seeing 20% of what's going on. I don't tweet races anymore. Stupid. It's, it's just <laughs> dumb. Like, it's just stupid. It take, like, you don't see, you miss stuff. You don't, you miss what's happening because you're looking at your phone. You're too busy. Like, it's dumb. Dumb. Yeah. Well, listen, um, I am, um, just back to Germany, I think it first hosted a GP in 1975, which might make it the eldest, the oldest uh, Grand Prix track on the calendar currently. Yes. So there you are. It's historic. And, you know, sometimes the track still looks like it, you know, was the same as it was in the mid 70s. Uh, but yeah, if there's a good crowd there, I mean, you know, when Ken Roxon was in his pomp, um, it was a fantastic atmosphere. Max Nagel as well. The Germans do like a bit of um, home, home rider hero syndrome. But uh, it's usually a busy, a busy GP. I, um, I feel like on this podcast, I've been very complimentary of in front, but I have equally thrown some suggestions for improvements out there do you think that when this podcast inevitably lands in the laps of in front will i be looked on favorably or negatively for my comments because i could see it going either way uh yeah i could see it going either way oh, I, no, I, wasn't, I was kind of hoping you were going to tell me i was wrong <laughs> no I, I one i don't think they listen to it uh no, this two, will find its way trust me i learned this last year uh, <laughs> Um, I think your comments will be embraced if they're done in a constructive way. There you go. I think that I was very complimentary. Yeah. Like, I think... As long as you're not contradicting yourself by like going on the pulp show and, and throwing missiles and then coming on here and being a little there, bit more diplomatic. Right, okay. You're being consistent then. Yeah, I'm a nice guy. Little, little, I was ran out of the MXGP paddock paddock because someone decided to spread a rumour that I wasn't a nice guy, but here I am proving everyone wrong. Malicious gossip. Malicious. Just the story of Lewis and the MXGP paddock of 2022, I could write a book. It was horrific. (laughs) And if Lockett does, if if Lockett is indeed my return to MXGP, which I think it will be, it was at Lockett last year where things really took a turn for the worst. Um, So it'll be like a Going back to the scene of the crime. Well, if you need a symbolic pat on the back, I enjoy doing these podcasts with you. And long may they continue. Well, you are being paid, so of course you can enjoy them. (laughs) That's the cynicism I like. Yes, there we go. That's what the fans wanted. Um, Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the MXGP podcast show, uh, recapping the MXGP of Latvia. Thank you to Nastan Husqvarna Factory Racing's Rasmus Jorgensen for coming on. Uh, Always a good time. He is good to talk about things that are outside of his little bubble as well as things that are inside thank you to fxr and polisport for their support of this podcast thank you to you people for listening we will be back next week to discuss the mxgp of germany we will speak to you then thanks for listening